Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian. This podcast version of our interview is brought to you by L3 Technologies. Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian here in Northern Virginia at the Center for Naval Analyses to talk to Sam Bendet, uh, who is uh, on the Russia team here, also a new member of uh, the uh, uh, CNA's new Center for Autonomy and Artificial Intelligence, right. and where you're also a, a fellow with the American Foreign Policy Council. Correct. Always great seeing you. Welcome back from your family vacation. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was uh, fun. Uh, and, and of course, Sam, only you would take your family to uh, Brussels to make sure that you get a good NATO founding and a good education for the family as well. Nothing like the Belgian food. <laughs> uh, exactly. You can't swing a dead cat without getting food in, in Belgium. Uh, not that you would want to do that. Um, so let's talk about uh, Russia and autonomy. We've had a whole series of conversations on that. Let's talk first about the uh, Storm uh, vehicle, right. which uh, definitely puts a, a heavy unmanned vehicle on an entirely <laughs> into an entirely new category. Right. Uh, this is a plan that Russians have unveiled. It's an idea and a concept. So it's not an actual physical uh, uh, project yet, so it's not, it's not finished. But what the Russians are thinking about is they want to put um, an unmanned package on the most widespread uh, tank chassis they own, which is a T-72. They know how to repair it. It's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. But there are certain conditions for this Storm UGV that Russians definitely want to implement. And one is that it has to be designed for urban warfare, for city fighting. Second, it should be able to withstand 10 to 15 hits from the RPGs, rocket propelled grenades and the most widespread weapon um, in insurgencies. And another criteria is a shortened barrel that should be able to fire at a 360-degree angle. So when the, this tank basically goes into an urban setting, it should be able to orient itself very easily and defend itself from all angles. Uh, especially important because the uh, T-72 has the very long barrel, 125-millimeter uh, right. gun, right. which very, very potent, but also con constrains it from operating in cities. Uh, do have Russian authorities given a sense on what the timeline is for this program? Not yet. And that's why a lot of people are skeptical, saying, look, this is a concept, kind of like it's, it's an idea. We want to work on this. So uh, we don't have an actual center or a factory out there working on this yet. But following Russian experience in Syria, following their trials of Uran-9 UGV that didn't go as planned, uh, this is definitely something that Russians can probably put together relatively soon. So not in a few months' time, but again, they should be able to unveil something for uh, themselves and for the international community to observe. And quickly, tell us where in the uh, Russian portfolio of unmanned ground systems, right? I mean, we've talked about a whole series of systems from small to midsize, one of which failed in, in Syria. Um, but talk to us about how this new vehicle would fit into the span of Russian ground systems. So Russians have a huge gamut of systems, just like the Americans do, from the very small ones, uh, small demining ISR vehicles, to much larger tank size. And now when we talk about Uran-9, we are actually going to say that Russians also have a tank size UGV, which storm, which is actually based on the tank. So they have mid-sized UGVs, they have heavy UGVs. There's another UGV based on a BMP-3 chassis called Vikhr, or a hurricane that the Russians are also working on. So they actually have an entire suite of systems that they're putting through the testing and um, all kinds of other paces. So what's interesting is they are experimenting with a wide variety of systems at once, from the very small to the very large ones. And of course, everything is colored by um, the overarching phrase, lessons learned in Syria, which is what the Russians are doing right now. 
Uh, let's go to the air. Um, the uh, uh, Russians had an unmanned uh, aerial Olympics uh, called Falcon Hunt. Tell right. us a little bit about Falcon Hunt because it's, it's, it was really kind of a fascinating multinational test. Right. So next week, uh, Russia is hosting Army 2018 Military Expo, which is the biggest in the country. Prior to the Army 2018 Expo, uh, Russians held a series of military Olympics with uh, a large number of countries. So Falcon Hunt hosted uh, Belarus, Kazakhstan, and Iran for a series of competitions with small to mid-range UAVs. And the Russians have done really well in a competition where they had to locate an enemy in night conditions. Again, something they've learned in Syria. But a surprising um, victor in one of the competitions was Kazakhstan. They actually won a competition at locating um, an adversary in daytime. What's more interesting is a variety of UAVs used at Falcon Hunt. So Russians have their own UAVs. Belarus um, manufactures its own unmanned aerial systems. Kazakhstan actually imports UAVs from Russia, China, and Israel, and they use an Israeli UAV in this competition. And of course, Iran came in with their own domestically produced UAVs as well. And uh, what did that tell you as, as somebody who's expert and watches this space about the relative capabilities of each of these countries? And how do you rate the Belarus domestic capability and the Iranian capability as well? Well, I think uh, these are separate issues uh, insofar as Iranian UAVs are actually flying in combat. So uh, Iranian UAVs have been spotted in Syria. In fact, a wide a range of their UAVs are flying from small ISR drones to actual combat UAVs that can hit adversaries. Um, Belarus is at the beginning stages of manufacturing a variety of UAVs from the small ISR models to combat to others. But Belarus as a small country nonetheless inherited a lot of Soviet industrial um, legacy. So they can punch well above their weight in manufacturing technologies that can compete globally. So Belarus actually has a lineup of UAVs that they have advertised and that they want to export. Uh, and then they're actually looking for customers. They're also manufacturing unmanned ground vehicles, which they have advertised actively as well. Uh, and uh, let's um, what an excellent segue to the big uh, conference on the 27th in Geneva. Right. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the laws conference um, and, and what it hopes to achieve um, in, in a universe where uh, the, the regulation of how unmanned, the international regulation of unmanned or any other system, all of which appears sort of to be faltering, right? I mean, everybody has these ideas about how to limit systems, even space systems, and it looks like everybody is sort of moving into space and other areas. Talk to us about some of the big issues that, uh, that are gonna get discussed in Geneva next week. So, so despite the international community not actually manufacturing a real thinking Terminator, um, um, an unmanned system that can think for itself on the battlefield. A lot of countries, a lot of organizations, a lot of people are concerned that lethal autonomous weapon systems or laws can actually proliferate and that they can actually develop relatively quickly and in an incident in a battlefield they can get out of human control and cause irreparable damage. And so Laws Conference tries to bring together major global players in unmanned systems manufacturing as well as various international organizations to try and come up with a set of laws and principles that may limit the spread of such lethal autonomous weapon systems. Uh, last year and this year Russia has submitted its uh, response and the responses are similar. So Russians are actually saying that look, um, they are not going to agree to any limits to lethal autonomous weapon systems because such autonomous systems don't yet exist. Um, everybody's in process of manufacturing them, but they're not actually out there in the battlefield. Russians are not convinced that current laws can uh, sustain 
an international regime that may limit such autonomous systems. And any discussion about a real autonomous weapon system is purely theoretical, again, simply because we haven't yet manufactured a real Terminator. However, Russia agrees with many international players, and this year it agreed with France and Germany that there must be overarching human control over laws. Now, how that actually plays out in practice is a very different story. And uh, when you talk about manufacturers, I mean, one of the concerns always about um, the easy availability of unmanned systems in the United States even is how quickly, you know, if, if it can carry three pounds of payload, right. it could be a camera or it could be explosives. Exactly. In which case, with a remarkable degree of precision, you can right. get that through somebody's window or to their car right. or to an individual person, as we saw with Maduro. Right. Uh, several drones were involved in a, in a strike to try to kill the president. Um, you know, talk, talk to us a little bit about what and how that space can be governed, because now you have an enormous proliferation of um, interrupter beams and a whole bunch of other systems in order to try to kinetically or non-kinetically interrupt those uh, control of these systems. But then again, if, if you can make a decent algorithm that has it fly to a coordinate, you know, the, the interception of it becomes a little bit of a more difficult of a challenge. So talk to us a little bit about um, what are some of the theories and thinking about control in this space. So this is what the Laws Conference is trying to address. Again, uh, you have several major players uh, not in agreement over how such space should be governed. And of course, the United States has its own ideas. Um, European nations have their own ideas. Russians, the Chinese, Iranians, they all have their own ideas. What you mentioned is a pre-programmed device that could be stopped relatively easily and relatively quickly if it could be spotted. So on, um, in discussion about very small unmanned aerial systems like the ones used uh, across the Middle East or the ones that were supposedly used against Venezuelan president, the issue is spotting them. Um, the discussion about laws is about autonomous system. So the international community is concerned that at some point there will be a breakthrough in artificial intelligence, machine learning, some kind of algorithm that will render these machines capable of making their own kill decisions. And this is what concerns a lot of people. But once again, Russians are saying, look, this is purely theoretical, such algorithms and such advanced AI simply does not exist yet. So limiting any country from manufacturing killer robots is in fact in violation of international laws in the first place. And uh, let's talk about the cephalopod. Um, I, I, I uh, love the name. Uh, talk to us a little bit. There's been a lot of reporting on it. Tell us about right. cephalopod and what's new. So Cephalopod is yet another Russian unmanned underwater vehicle project. Um, it was announced as a concept, uh, so Russians are probably uh, somewhere busy working on it. Um, this is supposed to complement the existing fleet of Russian UUVs, unmanned underwater vehicles. Um, it isn't clear if Cephalopod is going to carry an actual live torpedo um, or if it itself is going to be a weapon just like the other UUVs. But the plans are kind of out there, their sketches are out there, the designs are out there. And I think Russians are kind of happy that the international community is paying so much attention to their technological advancements for a change. Um, as opposed to them worrying about the next weapon that United States or European Union or even China has manufactured. So this definitely places Russia on the par with the most advanced nations working on the most advanced technological achievements. Sam Bennett from CNA on the new uh, autonomy and artificial intelligence uh, team, as well as with the American Foreign Policy Council. Thanks right. very much. It's a pleasure. And welcome back home. Always a pleasure. Thank you.